Welcome to the Run for God Run Club, where you will find God in a runner's space. Welcome to the Run for God Run Club. This is your one stop each week to be motivated and inspired to get off the couch and onto the running trail where you can, in turn, inspire others to do the same. Let's learn, laugh, and leap into running together, giving God the glory for what we're able to do in His name. Amen. I am your running host, Dean Thompson. Today is a special day as we, we share a story of triumph that will get you excited uh, for the road that you're about to travel. So we have with us today a guy who understands the definition of the word hard in a way that most people don't. Welcome to the Run for God Club podcast, Dean Stamper. Thanks. It's good to be here. And of course, Dean's neighbor, accountability partner, and the guy who dared Dean to run a full Ironman triathlon, Run for God founder, Mitchell Hollis. I find myself daring people a lot nowadays. You do that. You do that. You've got a history. I do. So before we get started, are you going to be in bed before midnight tonight? Are you waiting until after? Tonight's New Year's Eve. This is recorded a little bit early. Are you going to be in bed before midnight or after midnight? I'll be awake. Yeah. Dean number two? Definitely. That's always the plan anyway. (laughs) I'll always make it. Okay. Even if I fall asleep, I'll set an alarm to wake up just to watch midnight go by and then go back to bed. Really? Yeah. There's two kinds of people in this world. And you (laughs) are not going to be awake. I probably... I've got orders to be in a deer stand in the morning, so... By a very important person in your life. Exactly, my so. son. So who knows? I might, you know, I'm going to be at Dean, Dean number two's house tonight. And Dean's cooking. We've talked about Dean's cooking on this podcast before. It'll put you to sleep, won't it? It will. It's so good. <laughs> and it's so comforting. You're asleep in 30 minutes after. So who knows? Uh, hey, listen, do you think you can't do something? Maybe you're thinking about the Couch to Marathon program. Well, we're going to talk to this guy today who had every right to not to try to do big things, but he did. And I think you're going to be inspired by the story. And we're also going to share a story from a longtime Run for God supporter and Run Club member about what? That's right, doing something very difficult. First, let's go to our trivia question. Now, it's been a few weeks since this trivia question came out, so... Um, let's go to the the answer to that trivia question. Uh, what site has hosted the USATF championships more than any other? What is the name of the stadium, and where it is where is it located? Now, did you know the answer to this one? I knew this one. Yeah. I knew, yeah. Well, I thought I knew this one, but I'm I'm being confirmed now that I I did know this. What about you, Dean? Did you know? I did know. All right. Hayward Field in Eugene, Oregon. It's funny because Eugene is really only known for the University of Oregon, other than, the, I mean, Eugene's just rel- relatively small town, but it is known as Tracktown USA. Mm-hmm. Um, this stadium is over 100, well, it's 100 years old this year. Uh, it was built and named after a guy named Bill Hayward. What was interesting about Bill Hayward that was so different from where we are today is he was the track coach for the University of Oregon for the first 20-something years that they were in existence. But he was also the basketball coach, and he was an athletic trainer for the for the teams as well. So really interesting. Back then, I don't know a lot of people don't know this, but but Heisman, the guy who the Heisman Trophy is named after, was a coach at Georgia Tech at one time. Well, Heisman also coached the baseball team as well. 
So back in this day, a lot of guys, just like high school coaches do today, they co- coached multiple sports. Now guys are paid millions of dollars to coach one sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, so did where does Bowerman fit in? Was he after? Oh, way after. Okay, yeah. so he yeah. was way after Hayward. Yeah, Bowerman was in the 60s and 70s. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Now, it, don't they have a new facility, or did they just redo this one? They just rebuilt this one. I mean, they completely raised the old one and have completely rebuilt. It is gorgeous. Really? Have you been out stadium. there? Have you seen it? The I saw one? the old one. I okay. haven't seen the new one. The new one is. I mean, it's just completed within the last few months. Now, Dean, when you lived in Washington, how far away were you from? Oh, from Eugene, it was a good ways. It was okay. you know, four or five hours or so. Yeah. Um, I was a lot closer to Eugene when I went to school in Southern Oregon. So we'd always we'd meet up with my brother. He'd drive down from Seattle. We'd meet at University of Oregon and watch basketball games when the Huskies would come down. He was a big University of Washington fan. So we got we got there more times uh, um, than one would expect, being a kid from California. So. Yeah, yeah, huh. yeah. yeah I always I've, we we have a race out there every year in Washington, and I always say we're gonna. Go out a day early and go down there and see that, but we've we've not done it yet. Need to do it. Need to do it. This interestingly about Bill Hayward, he missed the dedicate. They dedicated the track to to his name, um, and it was done at halftime of a football game. And so he was the trainer. So he was in the training room <laughs> while they dedicated this track to him. So didn't even get off a day after uh, day for that. I'll mm-hmm. tell you what, times have changed. Crazy. Um, and it was built as a football stadium uh, and was used as a football stadium all the way up until 1966. Now, Dean, you've been out there and you've seen the Duck Stadium now, and it's huge oh, yeah. and it's gorgeous. It's out there, and I mean, you can see it from all over, right? Yes. Um, anyway, the USATF championships have been held in Eugene seven times. Uh, the Olympic trials have been held there six times. That's almost that they took a hiatus for for. A, maybe two or three Olympic trials. And other than that, since the 70s, pretty much the Olympic trials have always been uh, in Eugene. Uh, a lot of NCAA championships. It's the host of a meet called the Prefontaine Classic where people all over the world come mm-hmm. to run. Uh, the World Junior Championships were held there in 2014. And because of the new stadium, the World Championships are going to be held there in 2022. So Eugene is becoming a, a mecca for uh, for running. There are some other cities in the world, like Oslo. I don't know if you know Oslo, Norway, is a big mecca for running and um, Bislett Stadium. Um, this this particular track has been in a lot of films. That, you know, the Prefont- There's a couple of Prefontaine movies. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in those, but it's been in so many more. Um, and a lot of people know the name Steve Prefontaine, mm-hmm. um, even if just from legend. But of course, he ran at the University of Oregon, so he ran a. That's ton. Where Nike started. Yep, and he ran a ton of laps on that very track. Yeah. Um, now, what is the track? It's not this one. I'm having a brain lapse here. The track where it's in the woods. That's in Portland. That's in Portland. at the Nike okay. headquarters. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty cool. I would love to go visit that. Yes. Yeah. It's a it's a 400 meter track, right? Right. But it's. You, you can't see from one side of the track to the other because there's, there's trees trees or cypress or some kind of trees in the middle of it, yep. and it's like a forest. Yep. But it's that would be pretty cool to, to go there. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they did some races there uh, this past year in the whole COVID thing when they couldn't have races anywhere else. Nike 
brought out. Uh, they were doing the world records and stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. some of some of their athletes and stuff to do that. So it's pretty cool. They ran a five k there. They had somebody break uh, break thirteen minutes in the five k there on yeah. that track. Uh, I ran at Hayward Field on the track one time, and when I did, <laughs> there was snow on it. So uh, we went there. I went to, we were in Bend, Oregon for a cross-country race, and we traveled over to Eugene for a couple of days just so we could hang out in Eugene, run on Pree's Trail, and do some other things there. So so if you go there, can you just go to the track? Can you go get on the track, or is it locked up? Or You could then. We okay. just, we parked there, and we ran. We, as a matter of fact, he the guy made me get off the track because he was about to take a snowblower and clear the track off. Really? So, uh, and he did that, and all he did was clear lane one. So he didn't clear the whole track. He just cleared lane one. Uh, so anyway, Pretty cool. um, so let's get back to Dean. So Dean, tell us about your family and kind of what you do. Um, so I'm blessed with a beautiful wife, Alyssa, of nearly 20 years and, and five amazing kids, Andrew, Alex, Kyla, Kylie, and Chloe, our newest, uh, just arrived a few months ago. Um, so we're super excited about that. Um, and I'm just a quality um, director at, at Shaw Industries in, in our little town of Dalton, Georgia, but uh, been blessed to work with them for quite a while now. So that's what I do in my in my spare time. <laughs> Got crummy neighbors. <laughs> yeah, well, his next-door neighbors are a little suspect, I understand. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's get this out of the way. You are not built – to be an athlete, were you? No, no, not by any stretch of the imagination. You know, in fact, to be honest, when I started this journey, I wasn't built much for walking, let alone running. So, um, yeah, it's been a, a change for sure. Absolutely. Uh, so how did you decide to run knowing that it was going to be a lot more difficult for you than for a lot of people to, to run? How, how did this happen that you, you started running? Well, uh, kind of through Providence, you know, I, I knew that my calling in life was to to uh, be a father and my family was growing and I wanted to be around for them for the long haul and, and see their families grow up and their kids come into their lives. And and, uh, and we just happened to move here in, in 2009 and, and end up in a house right next door to Mitchell Hollis. And, um, you know, it, it, he was starting a run for God class at his church. I think the first one had already happened, but the the first formal one, if you will, after the book had come out and the Couch to 5K program was in effect, uh, happened along the same time as we had moved into town. And and so it was just a perfect stroke of events. You know, in the South, the great thing is, you know, even though um, we were Catholic and most everyone else in town is Baptist, they were so welcoming, and it was such a great community to be open about your faith in. Uh, we moved here from the West Coast, where um, I'm sure there are many, many people who live out there that have God in their lives. But it, I don't know; it's just something different about the South. It's not so openly talked about. And and uh, when we moved in next door to Mitchell, it was just a common discussion. You know, us wanting to learn more about each other. And then when the class started up, uh, we were invited to participate. And so my son Andrew and I and uh, a few other friends that we had decided to go along with it and see where it would take us i mean and uh and that's just how it all started that's awesome so so your neighbor mitchell gets you into this training for a 5k and i assume you completed that so what was next after that so my son andrew who was six back then and is 16 now um 
we wanted to keep going. We got enthusiastic about running. Um, later that fall, there was a pumpkin 10K run in Chattanooga. So we just kept up our training and started getting a little bit longer and longer in distance until we were, we felt ready for a 10K. And so um, he was equally as fast, if not faster than me, even though his legs were probably about the third of size of mine at the time. And, <laughs> and uh, so we signed up for the pumpkin run in Chattanooga and went out there and it was a great day. Um, you know, uh, little did I know God was going to teach me a little lesson in humility that day, though. About halfway through the run or so, Andrew's like, oh, my stomach's not feeling so good. So we just kind of slowed to the back of the pack and people were passing us. And I'm like, man, we trained so hard and now we're not even going to get to finish with the time that I know he and I can do. And so I was worried about my own personal goals. And, and, uh, and then just about that time, one of the last few people to pass us was this 82-year-old woman named uh, Jean Horgan, and she's like, hey, how's it going? I'm 82 years old and just enjoying running today, and you guys are doing great. And we're like, oh, man. So she, exactly. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. Well, she's probably you know been running since she was five and is a track star from high school and college. I'm thinking all these things in my head, justifying why I'm just getting passed by an 82 year old woman. And, and she, and just then it's like, it's like God heard me and was going to just smack me on my head. Like, what are you thinking about your own personal? She yells back and it's hard to believe I just started doing this two years ago. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my goodness. A newbie runner like myself is out there passing me in a 10k and then about that time my son how oh, i feel much better dad and he leaves me and so i'm like at the very back of the pack with no hope at catching up because when he feels good he can run much faster than me it's just feeling good for that full length the time was his issue so anyway but you know it was a great experience time with my son that i'll never get back and so it was a wonderful thing to look back how, upon. how awesome i didn't realize it was at the pumpkin run that's yeah. that's the one at moccasin bend yes right? that's so right i was probably there yeah running probably that, that same race that day yeah. didn't even we didn't even know each other i know at that point. i know so strange uh, how cool is that yeah so okay so you've run some road races you you're enjoying the experience of of both running and and learning about running and and running with your son of course is there's nothing like that i remember when my kids were growing up and i used to i used to run with one and go play golf with the other and those were my two favorite things to do and it was so awesome to get to get a chance to 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 participate in something with your son so but um when we come back we're going to talk about how you got into triathlons which is a whole different beast so but before we do that we're going to listen to uh, J Radio. Now, the Run for God channel is here on J Radio. So if you haven't listened to the Run for God channel, uh, you need to get on J Radio, and then you need to listen to it. As a mom, I want to make sure we choose a cereal that's not entirely derived from sugar. Their car seats have to be nationally CPS certified, and their first car has to have every possible safety feature known to man. I just want to do my best to make sure that they're safe. One thing I don't have to worry about is the content they hear on J-Radio. Not only do they love the music, but I know it's only going to be a positive message that I would approve of. Now, if I could just figure out how to get my youngest from sticking everything up his nose. Sign up at JRadio.com and download the new J-Radio app in your app store. Okay, we're back. Don't forget that you can send messages. You can send questions to Dean at runforgod.com. Um, obviously, if you don't know about us and you just happened on this podcast, you need to go to runforgod.com 
or runforgodrunclub.com and learn more about what Run Club is all about and what Run for God is all about. Uh, because you'll you'll find a wealth of information there about about how to get involved if you'd like to get involved. And don't forget that we would love to hear your story on the Run for God and Run for God Run Club pages. You will have a place to submit your story, and we would love to hear it. We're going to share a story today that was submitted in just that way. Um, but before we share that story, let's talk to Dean a little bit more about his story. So. Now, Mitchell, who prodded you along up to this point, right, um, created his own triathlon just for you, right, in Dalton. <laughs> that might be a stretch. but uh, So how did you come to, be, to do triathlons? Sure. Well, not only did he create his own triathlon, he created his own triathlon team. But it wasn't a team for me, but it, looking back, it might have had some sort of ulterior motive in in any event it was my son andrew who got me motivated to do triathlon mitchell started a junior triathlon team for a lot of the kids in our community and um andrew was one of the ones that was buddies with his son lane and so um so they got involved and and for the first couple of years you know i helped coach him along in his little journey and and in one of my coaching sessions when i was motivating him if you will to run faster and go harder i thought to myself well if i'm going to be giving this advice i need to i need to you know be willing to walk the walk so to it's speak funny how your own words are slapping yeah, you yeah in the face exactly <laughs> and that's me all the time yeah. and so um you know i just thought now would be the perfect time and so the the run for god try happened the next year and so um i started training for that and uh and it just kind of went on from there. And that was a short triathlon, right? It was. It was just a, sp- a sprint triathlon. For me, it didn't feel short. It didn't I seem understand. short. It felt like the longest thing I'd ever done in my whole entire life. It definitely, up until that point, was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. And so, um, but yeah, looking back now, it was just a, a short sprint triathlon. The, the swim was particularly exciting to you that day, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for certain. It was uh, a little bit uh, daunting, to say the least. I had trained quite a bit um, for the swim and but uh, that day, it was just uh, one of those things where um, I was wondering how it was going to go because at this point, it was everything in me to to be able to complete that little three hundred yard swim or whatever it was at the at the uh, um, the rec center that day, and um, I just kept slow and steady. I was like the turtle and the tortoise and the hare, you know, just uh, slowly moving. It was great to see other people struggling with me you know holding on to lane lines grabbing on the edge of the pool at the end of each lap and and uh i just kept going and then it was a a beautiful day i'm familiar with that you know i did that one too actually it was weird because i had signed up for an iron man and hadn't even and and didn't did that in between you know after i'd signed up before i did the iron man and i remember that swim because i remember thinking no way I'm going to be able to swim 2.4 miles. Yes, yes but, exactly. But uh, it, it ultimately happened. So the Run for God triathlon was your first, and then you did another one or two after that, right? Yeah, um, exactly. After that that race, uh, the night, I think we were sitting around the dinner table after cleaning up at the try, and and uh, we were having dinner, and it was uh, Mitchell and, and our families, and then our good friend Wendy Teak was there. She had completed her first sprint triathlon with us, and and so we thought, 
this is great. I mean, I think I can do another two sprint triathlon or two. So the next weekend happened to be the sports barn sprint up in Chattanooga. So immediately I got online and went and signed up for that thinking, I don't know how long this train's going to keep rolling. So I'm going to try and keep it going as, as long as I can and maybe do a few of these mattered throughout the triathlon season with my son. And, and, uh, just, it felt really great to just swim, bike and run alongside of our kids. And, uh, I felt like in a really good place at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not alongside of, no, but, uh, <laughs> not for long anyway, yeah. <laughs> we started there together. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So all of this leads to eventually being talked into by Mitchell and God, um, to a half Ironman, um, uh, which we'll come back to that story after we hear from another friend of ours. His name is Sam Ridenauer. Sam Ridenauer is from Carroll, Ohio, and he shares a story with us that I love, and it sounds like the story, the title of the story, sounds like Sam, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Uh, Sam's such, a, such an interesting guy um, and, and a really, really good friend of, of Run for God. Uh, and his uh, story is entitled, Hugging the Thornbush. I've done a lot of running these past 20 years, 5Ks, half marathons, marathons, a few ultra marathons, and even an eight-day, 200-mile stage race that is chock full of God stories. But even with all those miles and experiences, there is one thing that has not really changed from even my high school running days. (laughs) I don't like pain. Nope, not at all. In fact... I was a sprinter in high school, embracing the 400-meter dash because even though it hurt, it was all thankfully over within just under a minute. Thus, I consider my transform transformation into a distance runner, along with all the aches, hobbles, and niggles that come with the racing and the training, yet more proof that God has a sense of humor. Now, when it comes to big races or big workouts, we have most likely heard or seen a few sayings that are meant as tough love encouragement. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Suck it up, buttercup. Pain is weakness leaving the body. Don't make me use the ugly stick on you today. <laughs> okay, that last one was a personal joke between me and a friend, but you get the idea. There is a lot more tough than love going on there. And at least for me, they do not generate a ton of internal motivation to keep going. One day in early 2019, as I was out driving on the job, I had the radio tuned to our local sports talk radio station. One of the afternoon hosts was Bobby Carpenter, a former Ohio State and NFL linebacker who is, let's just say, (laughs) known to go off on a lot of tangents. One of those tangents had him relating some motivation one of his former coaches would use when nobody is feeling it during a late-season practice. The coach said something to the effect of, sometimes you just have to hug the thorn bush. It's not pleasant in the moment, but the payoff is worth it. That saying stuck with me in the following weeks. It was I was in the middle of preparing for the third time to run the crazy 200-mile stage race. The good thing about preparing for something like that A third time was that I knew what I was getting into. Experience is a great teacher. The flip side of that was that I knew exactly what I was jumping back into, especially since I had failed to complete all of the stages in the previous two attempts. 
While I was driving around on the job those next couple of weeks, God kept reminding me that Jesus had willingly worn a crown of thorns along with suffering so much more in paying the price for my sins. I do not even like getting scraped over a briar in a trail. And wearing a crown of thorns really ranked pretty low on the suffering that Jesus endured on our behalf. If Christ could suffer so immensely on a physical level for me and the rest of humanity, the least I could do is thank him for the opportunity to run this race again, that when the going got tough, I shouldn't just hug the thorn bush, but, I, but rather embrace it and whatever God had in store for me. The race itself turned out to be one special week. The first two days were surprisingly easy, so much so that I was able to go out and be a pacer for around eight extra miles on the second day for some members of our team who arrived late. But that led to some very unexpected and sudden discomfort the next day. About 12 miles into that day's 20-mile stage, the dreaded wall hit fast and hard. There were, there, and there are a lot more general pain than I experienced along the way. We were now at the point in the race where a reaction to adversity was just that, far more reaction than action. My next thought prayer to Jesus was, thank you. Now I understand a little bit more of what you went through for me. Wait, was this me saying this to God? The guy who carried a ton of baggage into this race? The guy who quickly knew he was out of his league the first time he ran this race and kept coming back for more? The guy who worked at a running store and was by far the slowest runner there? The guy who taught Run for God classes for a few years and felt like a failure because he just could not keep his group going? Yeah, that guy. Saying yes to God and hugging the thorn bush in that moment opened up an unforgettable rest of that race with stories from each day that are too long to be covered here. I wound up finishing the race that year every stage, every mile, every step. He just provided just enough strength one day to keep me ahead of the cutoff time. The last four miles of the race were the toughest I have ever run. And just walking away from the finish line was memorably challenging. God has done some amazing things in other areas of my life since that race, especially my work life. He so often takes what looks like an inconvenience on the job, a traffic jam here, a surprise delivery there, and places me in just the right spot at the right time to make something happen for a customer or one of my coworkers that could not have happened at any other time throughout the day. It has made what used to be a significant irritant in my work day a reason to look up, wonder what is up, and what adventure God is having me to be a small part of before the day is up. Man, that's a great story. That's a great story, Sam. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've I followed a couple. I didn't know he did three. I yeah. thought he'd only done two, but I, I remember following along with those. And that that two hundred mile race looked pretty grueling. I think it was in Haiti. Wasn't Haiti, it? yep. Haiti, yeah. Absolutely, wow. it was so, a, uh, a good fundraising effort for the folks in Haiti. Yeah, it's a great perspective. Yeah. So, um, Dean, the, the triathlon has kind of helped you view, view things kind of in a similar way to Sam, hasn't it? Just absolutely. looking at that story. Yeah, absolutely. 
Scripture passage 1, Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. <laughs> this verse is only two verses after the famous Jeremiah 29, 11 that we've all heard where Jeremiah is telling Israel that God has plans for them. But this is kind of the caveat to that, more or less. He's telling them that in order for them, those plans, to be fulfilled, he has to seek, they have to seek him with all their heart, right? Mm -hmm. But they, yeah, it, but they have to go through struggles too. Right. I mean, think about who he was talking to. Think mm. about all the... They were in the middle of a struggle at the time this was, this was set. Yeah, and how many times do we talk about on this podcast, a lot, I'm going to answer the question, we talk about it a lot, how if we can ever wrap our head around the fact that affliction, struggles, hard times are good, we, we know that in the sport. We know, we understand that you have to tear the body down to build it back up. We understand that you get faster by harming yourself. We, we understand these parallels, and in, in, I'm convinced that Run for God was created to parallel those things. We always say it parallels faith and endurance, but I know I struggle with this concept every day, and we're in the middle of this every day, that Paul said, I rejoice in my affliction. Mm. But how many times do we like the children of Israel when we just whine? And it's funny, he, he talks about the the hugging the thorn bush. You know, where I think of a blackberry bush. As soon as I read his story, I thought of a blackberry bush. And <laughs> you've plucked black, blackberries with me before. Oh, yeah. Uh, on the outside of the bush where you're not going to get stuck, you're not going to get pinched, everything's been picked through. The deer have picked them, the squirrels or whatever. Where are the best blackberries? Deep They're inside. in the middle of that bush. Yep. And you're you're going to get hurt getting to those unless you have a chainsaw or a weed eater. If you if you try to go in for the for the best part of the crop, it it's going to hurt to get there. And I I think that's Sam's point yeah. here is that we we need to look at the um we need to look at the reward that we know that God has already promised us. Yeah. Yeah. But it it's going to hurt to get there. He he says in another package, pick up your cross daily and follow me. That is not a picture of easy living. Yeah. That's yep. a picture of hard living. That's a picture of hurting when you're in the marathon. That's a picture of, you know, being persecuted at work for your faith. That's that's a picture of not enjoyable things, and I, I don't want to sound like it's a downer here because it's not. We, we're promised something. We're promised that huge ripe blackberry in the middle of that bush, but we got to go through the pain to get there. Yeah, yeah. And I was I was thinking that a lot of times we look at that and we think I'll never get there. There's no way that I can get there. But you know, I was just reading in Acts this morning where the uh, the apostles were arrested. Mm -hmm. Right now, the same apostles, the same apostle Peter who denied Christ because he didn't have the guts to stand up for him, who was told by Christ he would do it and still did it, who didn't, who, who couldn't rejoice in affliction at that point in time, obviously. Afterwards, he's arrested for preaching. And what's the first thing they do when they, when, when they realize what's going on? They go, this is so awesome that we are being afflicted based on what we're doing for Christ. We're about to get beat. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. 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 So so if if Peter can do it, well then we can all do it, right? Absolutely.
Scripture passage 2, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. <laughs> this one's a hard hard one to wrap your head around. It is. Um, because we, so many times, we think we're working for a boss. You know, we're, it, it's all about, it's all about the, the job and it's, it's not. It's we're being a witness in the way we perform our job. And that's that's one thing we always talk to our kids about is it doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you're mopping floors or or driving a nail on a construction site or whatever you're gonna do when you grow up. Do it with everything in your being because as strange as that may sound, that points people to Christ. It it sets an example that, that we're not living for that boss. We're not doing this work for that boss. We're doing this to represent the person that we serve, and that's Jesus Christ. And uh, but it's a hard one to wrap your head around, especially, you know, he he was telling this to to slaves at the time. Yeah, and yeah. one of the things about this one that I think about when I when I read it is is this: I've seen people in the workplace who talk about Jesus a lot. They're mm-hmm. they're sharing their faith a lot, but then they're terrible workers. Mm-hmm. And what what kind of a message is that? It's a it's 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 a mixed message and it's not a good one. It's right. like the person who, you know, is is openly witnessing all the time and then on the weekends they're doing something they shouldn't be doing, right? right? Um, and so we got we have to be careful with that. We have to, you talk about it all the time, and I love. I've never heard. I don't. I think you're the first person who, who I've ever heard use the phrase "protect your witness." Mm-hmm. I think is so important. Um, I just saw a sitcom the other day where the guy on the sitcom was a truck driver, and. In, in the sitcom, and of course it was a sitcom, but he was talking about how he felt like his job was so important. And I think about my brother works for a lighting company, and I could remember us talk. We would walk into a place, and he would look up at the light fixtures and talk and, and tell me what light fixtures they were. He was so proud of what he did. Um, this truck driver gets to the point where somebody tells him, you're just a truck driver. You're just a truck driver. But – you're not just a truck driver. Well, in the spirit of Christmas, I think that's why it's so important that everybody watch It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's what George Bailey was going through. Exactly. You know, I don't matter. What is this all worth? And then when you remove that person from society, you see the hole that's there. We're all here for a purpose. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your job is, what your career is, no matter how bad you think it is. You're here for a purpose. And if you were not here, there would be a hole there. Yeah. And it's a big purpose. Scripture passage number three, John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So I read this a while ago, um, and and I thought about this analogy. And I'm going to ask you, Dean, Dean Thompson, um, what what if you had a coach that you trusted emphatically i mean you believed and hung on every word he said you've got that coach in your mind Mm -hmm. and that coach said dean you're gonna run a sub two hour marathon in two years and you believed him you wholeheartedly believed what this guy said he's the greatest coach in the world you're gonna run a two hour marathon in two years but it's in the bag but you're gonna have to do a lot of work to get there 
you 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 need to you need to be obedient. You need to do what I tell you to do. You need to follow this plan. You need to do all these things. But the two hour marathons in the back. Would you do all those things? Oh, of course I would. Yeah. But how many times do we 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 have God? We have Jesus telling us, "Have peace." Um, I have overcome the world. The game's won. It's already won. It's already won. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is just lead a great example, tell other people about Jesus, and get through this life protecting your te- testimony, protecting your witness. Mm. Amen. But how many times do we, <laughs> we, we, we understand these concepts in, in so many other areas of our lives, but when it comes to God's Word, that's that's where I struggle. Yeah, and that's yeah. where we all struggle. Yeah, yeah, every day. Yeah, and there's things that we were we were on our ride up here. You were talking about the number of emails that you got overnight, right? To your yeah. to your email, um, and we worked so hard to keep all that cleaned up and 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 to do our job because our job is our job and it's important. Um, but then what happens oftentimes, I think, is that we, like you said, we forget about the other side of that coin and because we're so busy when when we finally get a chance to get through those million emails um i want to relax but we're not to relax exactly that's where we should be shining his light to wherever we can and doing whatever we can for him right yeah um question one what about the race you are training for makes you nervous and presents itself to you as a thorn bush <laughs> I'm sure that we're going to have a lot of thornbush embracing moments in this Couch to Marathon program, right? And they're going to be awesome. Every one of them. Yep. 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 They're going to be awesome. Yep. And, and for, for those of you listening, Dean's going to talk about some of those thornbush moments here in just a little bit. So uh, stay, you had stay tuned for that. Thornbush bush moments? Uh, just yeah. one or two. <laughs> a day. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I remember telling everybody that uh, I was going to run this sub five minute mile. I've been telling everybody for a year or two. I don't know, long time. Um, and I, I, I didn't feel good, and I kept putting it off, and I kept putting it off, and and so finally it was like, okay, I really, I'm out of excuses. I don't have a reason to put it off. I feel fine. I feel like maybe I can do it. I need to do it. But then, when the time came, it was a little bit intimidating. I had all this pressure. Um, I'd made some bold statement, um, and I sure didn't want to fail, right? And so I had to embrace that looking something in the eye. And it's not as much a, a thorn bush as it is. This is this is nerve wracking, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna go out here and I'm gonna put myself. We videoed the whole thing, right? <laughs> so it, it was on record, regardless of what happened. And, and uh, we were going to post that video either way. That's it. And we <laughs> and talked about that. that. And yeah. we talked about that. So yeah. let me ask you this, kind of going back to that. How how much did you telling everybody, I mean, you you made the statement, you put it out there. I don't remember if you said it on social media, but you, you told everybody in your sphere of influence that you were going to do that. Had you not done that and had that crowd not been there and had cameras not been going, do you think your chances would have been just as high that you would have done it? Or did the fact that you had made it a little bit nervous, you had put yourself out there, did that help you to reach that goal? I think it definitely helped. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Now, I'm not the type of person that needs external motivation. 
it, if, but it definitely helped that. Day. But it definitely helped that day, and I think it was a little bit faster than it would have been otherwise. And the reason I say that is because we're asking people if they're mm-hmm. if they're doing the Couch to Marathon program, the the best thing you can do, and it's the scariest thing you can do, is, and you don't got to do it on social media. Yeah, but tell those around you, hey, this is what I'm doing because. Those around you, especially those that you love, the friends that are closest to you, that's your best cheering section. And But so many times, it's, it's the same way we do with our struggles. You know, mm-hmm. in our personal life, we, you know, the devil wants us silent. Yeah. The devil wants to keep us out here, and we think, well, I don't really want to tell anybody that. But God puts people around us to motivate, encourage, and to walk beside us. And I feel like you're you're much more likely to hit goals, whether it's reading your Bible every day or it's quiet time every day or it's running a marathon in one year. You're much more likely to hit those goals when you've got other people around you cheering you on. Yeah. But so many times we're, well, I might fail, so I'm not going to yeah, I'm not gonna tell anybody in case I fail. Well, guess what? Your chances of failing are much more likely yep. when you go into it with that kind of attitude. No question about it. And I think even more so in a program like this where – the training is so important. It's the work you put in ahead of race day that counts, mm-hmm. that it's much more important to have that accountability to tell people up front because it keeps you on your training plan. Like I'm like, Dean, yeah. I don't think I need a lot of external motivation on race day because it's pretty much won or lost long before then. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a little different on the on the sub five minute mile because a lot of things got to go perfectly on race day too. But for distance training, most of that happened for me long before the day, but it helped to have external people know about it because it kept me honest on my training plan every day. They knew that I was supposed to be building up to this, and you can't fake that. Yeah, and it's—I mean, like I said, it's so important. I've got a—I've got a gentleman at my church that he's—we're kind of, um, you know, he'll, we hold each other accountable, and uh, we, we ask a simple question when we see each other, and it's, "Are you living clean?" It sounds so simple, but every time I see this person and I see them once or twice a week, I know what's about to come out of their mouth. So I'm thinking about that long before I ever see them. And it's it's just, you know, we need that in our lives, whether it's our spiritual lives or our physical fitness lives or our jobs or whatever it is. We need those people around us. But so many times um, we're timid to do that timid to bring people in because we're afraid of our own failure but our failure is is much more likely when we don't bring those people in yeah absolutely so if you're signed up for the cast marathon challenge go tell people yeah go tell people yeah if at least a best friend at least somebody yeah somebody who so you know will ask you about your chops when you don't do that run that's right (laughs) yeah question number two how has god revealed himself to you when you have let him come alongside you and overcome difficulties in the past. I think about my fight with God through that that summer, which I've described on here before, of, of being unemployed. I mean, I'd never been unemployed in my life. I didn't know what that meant to be unemployed. And um, uh, there were some pretty low spots there. But I realized at some point in time, probably when I got to the lowest point, and we talked about that on this podcast before too, when I said, I know what I'm missing. <laughs> I'm missing God. Mm-hmm. That's who I'm missing. I'm paying attention to myself, feeling sorry for myself. 
And when I when I embraced God, all of a sudden, it was like a switch was turned on, and my entire life just seemed to, to turn around and change in that moment. Um, I remember when uh, you think think about how how God reveals Himself to you. I remember the day, and I've told this story before, where I had run every day, mm-hmm. and then I woke up in the middle of the night because I had forgotten to run the day before. I still don't see how you did that. <laughs> and my first thought was, how can I fix it? Right? How can I fix it? Because I need to fix it. But then once I got past that, realizing, okay, I can't fix it. My next thought was, okay, God, what are you trying to tell me? And he gave me the greatest answer and the greatest peace I could possibly have. So it's these times when we ask God to to come alongside of us that make the biggest difference in our lives. Well, and it's it's those times that you now look back on. You know, I think about my my moment like that was the the years after the OA housing crisis. Mm. And we we almost lost everything. I mean, we've talked about that on here. And I remember being sitting in my church in the middle of the day, no lights on, and just crying out to God. Why? What am I going to do here? But I look at that now, 10, 12 years removed from it, and that that's one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. Now, in that moment, Didn't feel I think that way. it's the worst thing that ever happened, but so many things that I learned in so many ways, we talk about hindsight 2020, so many points where you can see God working in your lives and the, and the people that he put around you at that time and the, and the, just all the things that you can see clearly when you look back. So, and it's like you, you, you're famous for making the, the statement. If you don't have the bad days, you don't have anything to compare the good ones to. And mm-hmm. I look back now and I mean, I have some pretty bad days now. But it was nothing compared to that. Now, will I go through something even lower than that? Possibly. Who knows? Don't know. But I have that frame of reference and that assurance that God was there. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was having to fight to see him. But, yeah, I mean, it's we, we need – you need to embrace – you need you need to hug those thorn bushes. Gotta hug the thorn bush. Yeah, I still love that. I'll never forget that phrase. Uh, last question: How is God using running to train you to share His love with others outside of running? And of course, for for run for God at large, as a whole, it's it's real simple. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the number one goal is to share the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. The number one goal is to to have more of those text messages that you've sent out over the last couple of days, where people have come to Christ and made a decision. Um, our second goal is to get people across the finish line mm-hmm. in that marathon in 2022, right? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You're going to be there, aren't you, Dean? I'm going to be there. See, he's saying it on the radio right now or whatever <laughs> this is, podcast. So he's he's putting it out there. I'm putting it out there. You are on record. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to be there. Okay. Yeah. All right. Have you tried J Radio yet? Social media? Nope. Grocery store tabloids? Nope. The newspaper? Not usually. The national news? Is there any media source these days that only shares a positive message? A lot of the media we take in each day can be pretty negative. Why not make the decision right now that your music will only be positive? Sign up for an account at jradio.com today and download the app in your app store. With music for every moment and entirely positive Christian message, it'll be nice to hear things going right for a change. 
All right. So this week we have no Dean's thoughts as you typically hear them, but we're we going to have a different kind of Dean's yeah, thoughts. Yeah, we, we have Dean's thoughts. <laughs> yeah, it's not your thoughts. That's right. Not my. Not this Dean's thoughts. Uh, a much smarter, more capable oh, no. Dean's thoughts. <laughs> All right, Dean. So we we left off with this. You ran a couple of triathlons um, that were short triathlons. You competed in those locally, and then you get to this half marathon. Um, how in the world do you go from doing something that takes an hour or two to something that's going to take you eight hours to do? Well, <laughs> he's still wondering that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't exactly recall the timing, but shortly after the sprint triathlon had come to a close. We were sitting around the dinner table again, as we've been wont to do. It is the common thread. I think we eat too much. (laughs) I know we eat too much, but um, it was Mitchell and Wendy Teak, our good friend, and and myself and and the families, and we were just talking about what's next, and and I was content just to keep on with our sprint triathlons every once in a while and jogging with my son, and that was great. And Mitchell had brought nonchalantly brings up the question, hey, have you ever, have you guys ever thought about doing a half Ironman? And I was thinking, no, 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 no. You know, I, I know that that thought had never even entered into my mind because, I mean, I had almost drowned and drank <laughs> copious amounts of the, of the local gym's water it, just training for a 300-yard swim. There was no way. I mean, an Ironman is for iron men and women, real honest-to-God athletes, not, not me. And so I just started chuckled. And, and, uh, and we moved along with the conversation, but Mitchell kept circling back. And he, you know, he said, I remember his words, he said, I will make it my personal mission to ensure that you and Wendy – cross that finish line but now let me let me stop you right there we weren't talking about a half iron man at that point we we started off you did the half iron man but we were talking about was didn't we start off with the iron man no 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 there was been no way you would have not okay. got me on that hook if that was the case <laughs> i would have been i would have thoroughly put you in the needing psychiatric evaluation camp at that point but because it was a half iron man and i had already been working toward a half marathon in my running distance and i could kind of see if i put more time in the swim that i could get a little bit better there that maybe maybe with god's help this could be a reality but i still couldn't wrap my mind around it but i thought about it later that evening and i don't know what came over me god's divine providence or what but that night <laughs> i signed up and i remember sending a screenshot of my sign up for the half iron man in florida to wendy and saying um I, I took a little snippet out of a motivational email that Run for God had sent me early in the 5K days, and it said that the, the miracle wasn't that I finished. The miracle is that I had the courage to start. And so I snapshotted that and sent it to Wendy, and sure enough, before long she had signed up too, and away we went. Wow. So Mitchell seems to be a common thread here. Yeah. I've noticed. Yeah. No doubt. Mitch, Mitchell and Edie. Yes. Um, <laughs> but Mitchell, in, in trying to help you through this, had you do a crazy thing four or five months before this uh, half marathon, right? Uh, the half half Ironman, rather. And so what was that? Tell us about that experience. So um, we had started this with like a, I don't know, 10 or 11-month 
goal in mind to be ready. I, I think it was like in, in early summer one year and the race was the following May. And so about halfway through, you know, we were in, in late December, I think, um, I saw on the training schedule it said Dean and Wendy half Ironman or Dean and Wendy 70.3, which is the half Ironman distance on the schedule one Saturday. And I'm thinking, what is this? Maybe we're talking over a race plan or something. So we asked Mitchell about it the week before and, and he's like, no, we're going we're gonna to do a half Ironman here in town. And I'm like, what? There's no, there's not even a half Ironman scheduled in town, anywhere near in town. And he's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You guys are going to swim in the wellness center and it's in January. So thank goodness it was swimming indoors, but you're going to swim in the wellness center. And I guess you're going to put on like 40 layers of clothing and get on your bike and go traipse around the hills of North Georgia, riding 56 miles. And then you're going to do a half Ironman right near the house, you know, just up and down Crow Road and around the track maybe or something to finish up. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, that's this upcoming weekend. There is no way. And he's like, no, 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 no. You guys have already done each of the distances. You know, you had learned to swim that that 1.2 miles and you had learned to you've already biked 50 something miles and and you've already done a half marathon. It's just going to be putting it together. And like, it was just anything you do on a Saturday with <laughs> nothing thinking, else to do. Where's my real estate? Agent? <laughs> <laughs> We're putting the house up for sale. This is getting detrimental to my health. So anyway, next thing we know, it's that Saturday morning. Wendy jumps in the pool. I jump in the pool. She's a much faster swimmer than me. So she gets done and goes in to her dressing room and I finished 20 minutes later or so and hop out and go get geared up and we hop on the bike and just drive or ride all over North Georgia on roads I had never been on before over train tracks and it was it was so cold outside that day but before you know it we're warming up and I'm shedding clothes and and uh and about 40 miles in it was like my legs just quit on me and you know when you get that like a charley horse in your calf, how you can kind of point your toe to the sky and it will release. Well, when I did that, like I had many times before, every other muscle in my leg, my hamstring, my quads, they all lock up and I just kind of tip over. I wasn't going very fast anyway, but I was just tip over on the side of the road and there I sit. And it was like my body's thinking just like, game over. Thanks for playing. And so I'm sitting did you, there. Did you did you think about Mitchell in that moment? Oh, yes. I thought about Mitchell many times, many, many times on this ride. But as I sat there on the side of the road, you know, I'm like, well, God got me this far. It was a good run, you know, and I gave it my best. And so I'm kind of half congratulating myself (laughs) on what I thought was going to be, you know, my pinnacle moment of the day. You know, I'd gotten through the swim, didn't drown there. That was a win, gotten through 40 miles of the bike. So I just sat there kind of defeated, waiting for like the pity wagon to come pick me up because they'd know when I didn't arrive that it was time to come get Dean, peel him off the side of the road or something. And then, I don't know, I just started praying and I don't know what God's presence feels like, but there was this like warm rush of wind and it's the middle of January. So the fact that I felt a warm rush of wind is a little strange, but then I just had this internal feeling like everything's going to be fine. And so I knew just get up on my bike and go. And I did. And I went. And before I know it, those last 16 miles were over and I was at the school and it was just kind of like an autopilot. I I knew I wasn't going to drown anymore and I wasn't going to get hit by a car. And so I just kept running. And so we ran down the road. I met up with everybody was waiting around the track and everybody was waiting on the run. So it was really just an exercise of completing the rest. And 
And uh, so we ran up and down that road and started to get a little dark. So we finished up around the track. And those were a long 16 laps around the track at the end of a half marathon. But at the end of the day, we were done and we knew we could do it. So it was an amazing day. Wow, what a great! So you had some divine intervention. Yes, there. for certain, uh, for sure, for certain. So how did the actual race go four or five months later? Well, the actual race in Florida was a bit more challenging. You know, I'd underestimated a lot of things, and um, the first thing was that you know I had all my plan put in place, but I should have known that the best laid plans often go by the wayside. Mm-hmm. I get into bed. We drove our camper down there so I can sleep in a bed I was familiar with, and and I got to bed like it seven o'clock i'm like i'm just gonna get in bed and it's still bright light outside because it's florida in the early part of summer and i'm like i'm just gonna force myself to get a few hours of sleep i was planning on waking up at like two in the morning to get up and go to the race site and get all everything laid out well about an hour later i hear my son climb up the stairs and then i hear my other son slam the door and and then I hear this blood curdling scream and, and I, I wake up like who's getting, uh, who's getting maimed or, and sure enough, it was my youngest son. He had had his hand slammed in the door of our camper and it kind of severed the tip off. And so he's bleeding profusely, grab some paper towels, wrap it up real tight and head to the emergency room at like nine o'clock at night. And so we get to the emergency room and, and it, you know, emergency rooms are emergency rooms and they take forever, especially if you're not having an imminent like heart attack type moment. So if they and uh, and his finger was nicely bandaged up because Wendy's husband is a is a paramedic. And so it looks like it's no big deal, like somebody just came in for a couple of stitches and then they pull off his bandage and realize that the whole thing's just hanging there. And so it takes them a while, but they X-ray him and stitch him back up and two two thirty in the morning or so we head back to the camper and my alarm is ready to go off and I'm thinking, oh man, I'm just going to get like whatever sleep I can get and still make it there and get going. So the next day starts and, and, uh, we're off to the, to the race and, and it's probably a great thing. The first divine intervention is that there's a sign right next to the water entry in the Florida iron half Ironman course that says, caution, alligators, no swimming. (laughs) And thankfully I missed it that day because I just know that if I had seen that sign, my heart would just be beating out of my chest. And so I missed that. So I just kind of wander over to the race start in this like half asleep stupor of a moment where I'm just barely standing upright and the gun goes off and we hit the water. And I just like, I think I slept through half of that race because I can't remember any of it. It was a very technical course. And I remember only like the last hundred yards straight away where I'm thinking, oh, there's the shore. And, and I'm swimming in and then I get on my bike and we just go. And, and so that was a, a good thing. And then um, I'm on the bike and it's a lot hillier than I had expected it to be. But we had trained for a long distance. And in the back of my mind, I already knew that we've done this distance, so I know I can complete this bike, but it was a lot hotter, but we had trained a good bit Mm -hmm. since Mitchell's half Ironman in the middle of winter. And so we had a lot of reserves in the tank. And so finished that and the run was brutally hot. It got to be like the heat of the day. You know, I'm very slow. So while there were people that had finished in four hours, I'm still out there at hour eight slogging through my last couple of miles. But, um, getting sprayed off with water hoses from the nice people of Haines City, Florida. And then we end up uh, just crossing the finish line in the nick of time. And so it was a beautiful day. So awesome. So how much did that completion of that half, half Ironman that you had done four months earlier, 
how much did that help you with your confidence, knowing everything you'd been through that night before and going into that? Do you think that was a big boost for you that morning? It was. It was It was a real boost. In the back of my mind, I always knew that I could do it. And I guess I should have had that faith just based on faith alone. You know, there's a lot of things in, in the Bible that says, you know, um, where it talks about it's great when you can see the miracle happening. You know it's going to happen. But it's even better when you haven't seen it, but you still believe it. And yeah. so part of my Iron Man journey, it became obvious that I didn't need that. But it was great to have that ahead of the half Iron Man finish. Yeah. And uh, we'll get to that in a little bit, I guess. You know, so, I think about – I love that part of the story. I've, I've actually never heard Dean tell this story like he's telling it. So this is my first time, so it's, it's fun to listen. But I think about week eight in the 5K Challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, up until that point, everybody has been walk, run, walk, run. They're doing long runs. They're doing 16 minutes worth of running, but it's broken up and it's got some breaks in between it. But the the light bulb that goes off in people's heads, I think I think back to when Wendy and Dean got done that day, as much as they hated my guts that Saturday <laughs> afternoon, when they're walking down the steps backwards and things like that. But that aha moment went out in their head. Oh, that light bulb went off in their head, just like people in the 5K challenge. They get to week eight and they're like, there's no way I can run for 20 minutes. Last week we were only running for eight minutes. And I, I always remind them, no, you ran 16 minutes. You just had a three-minute break in the middle. All we're doing is taking that three-minute break out and adding four minutes. They don't like that answer, but as soon as they get done, it's like a light bulb goes off. And the confidence that you see there mm-hmm. is is incredible to watch. And so... For everybody listening out there, I mean, you may be thinking about, and you talked about it last night, don't get hung up on looking too far out. You know, some people are going to get these training plans in the next few days, they're going to download them, and they're going to start thinking about that 20-mile run next December. Yeah. Don't do that. No. Don't do that. Yeah. So just trust trust the process. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So on a difficulty scale – how how much was was did it did the half ironman wind up being more or less difficult even with that factored in did, in the end was it more difficult than you thought it would be or less difficult i think heading into that day i thought it was going to be like a 5 you know like yeah. i already knew i can do it i should be much faster than i was back then you know with the hospital trip and the hilly bike and the heat on the run it turned out to probably be about a 8 yeah. but the way Mitchell's training plan was laid out, it was almost like we were prepared for a nine. And so yeah. the fact that I, I could still complete it and still complete it in the time that I had hoped to, even with it being so long and so arduous, it, it just worked out perfectly. That's a good – you know, I've never heard that phrase before, but uh, pre- prepare for a nine, prepare for a ten, right? Yes. And, uh, yes. and you'll be ready for anything that's below that. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to put it. So we're through the half Ironman. There's only one distance left. And you immediately jumped right into that full Ironman, right? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so sometime later, you know, Mitchell has us around the dinner table again. I don't know if he, like, greases the wheel a little bit, gets Dean me in a good mood. He just cooks very, very good. <laughs> and it, it's inspiring when you get there. Uh, anyway, <laughs> after a satisfying meal, Mitchell launches into, I will make it on my personal mission, his 
personal mission speech again. And Wendy and I were like, no, no, there is nothing that you can say on this night to get us signed up for a race that I know in my heart of hearts, there is no way I can complete. I mean, the half Ironman was great, but I had already done almost a half marathon at that point and i could see the light at the end of the tunnel but i know that i mean there's no way on that day i could have been out there for another eight and a half more hours because unlike the fitter people it takes us larger folk a little longer to complete the same distance and so there's just i I knew there was just no way so in, in my mind i i mean i shut that one down that night and so um but i guess god had other plans um shortly and there neighbor. and a pesky neighbor <laughs> using him as his sword and uh and so you know shortly thereafter i don't know we're we're talking about things and we keep up on the kids triathlon and and uh they announced the ironman chattanooga race and i'm thinking oh my goodness so we've got Which one in, in our, our back door. in our just in our backyard it means we can train on the course it means we can see those hills before ever having to like show up on race day and be surprised about them and i'm thinking Oh, goodness, there's no way I can do this, but how can this not be a sign? I mean, of all the cities in the world that an event can be held in, and there were only a handful of cities at that time. I mean, Ironman since exploded, but there was only a handful of cities that had a full Ironman at that time, and none that I would want to do. I mean, I don't want to be in the hills of Lake Tahoe or the mountains of Lake Tahoe or or swimming in the ocean in Florida because uh, um it just brings tons of other uh, other unknowns, and you'd never see them until race day. So I knew that that wasn't even a possibility. But, you know, I still think, okay, I'll just give it a shot and try and sign up. All the Ironmans that were being announced were selling out in seconds or minutes. And so there's going to be 4,000 people signing up for a race that holds 2,500. Odds are I probably won't get in. And then... Sure enough, so I we get in log in at noon one day on our lunch break and and through divine providence, both Wendy and myself and Mitchell and a couple of other friends all get in. Um and a bunch of other people got shut out that we know and that we didn't know and and it, the race sold out in minutes, but we all got in. So I'm like, well, God must have a different plan for me, or at least I'm gonna fail in spectacular fashion. <laughs> so that might be a plan uh in and of itself. I remember a friend of mine that uh, had tried to sign up for that and missed it. Um, I mean, it was like, it was was quick. It was like less than five minutes. Yeah, there was, I mean, it was amazing how fast that one filled up. Um, But it was, it was Chattanooga. Chattanooga is kind of an outdoor city. So you really expected it to be big in Chattanooga and it sure was. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) again, Mitchell kind of guides you and talks you into doing this thing, along with apparently some divine help. Yes, with for sure. uh, having it where it was, uh, and you decide to take this this trip down into uh, full lunacy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, how did the training go for that? Well, the training when it started was going great. I mean, we got about six months in or so, and no, maybe only about four or five months in, but we got in and we're ramping up, and things were going fine, and then early part of that year that the Ironman was to take place um, in 2014, I have this gallbladder issue and two bouts of pancreatitis. And then anyway, long story short, it lands me in the hospital where I'm having emergency gallbladder surgery, like five months out, six months out from the race. And, and, um, and I just think, well, that's it. I mean, this was my journey. 
it was a wonderful chance. I'm going to be the biggest cheerleader to Mitchell and Wendy and the rest of the team. But, I mean, it was going to be six or seven weeks before I could even start to train again, you know, heal up from the surgery and, and even think about starting to regain fitness. And anyway, a couple of months down the road, um, I start talking with my coach. You know, we had joined an Ironman triathlon um, support group that was uh, based out of one of the local tri slash bike shops. And, and um, I start talking to the coach that we had, had uh, um, gotten some help from. And he, he said, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. The body doesn't lose fitness quite as quickly as you would think it would. Mm-hmm. And so being out of commission, yeah, while not great, probably isn't so terrible as to you not to be able to at least still try to compete if you're willing to keep going. And I was willing. I mean, I had all the will in the world, but that's about all I had. I mean, that and a little bit of faith. And, and um, well, unbeknownst to me, it was kind of beknownst to me, but it was unbeknownst to me as to how much it had actually helped. When I had that pancreatitis, I had dropped like 30, 35 pounds in the hospital. And so I was never a slim person, but I started, you know, the journey at well over 300 pounds. And then by half Ironman, I was down to like 255 or so, but I had never even training heavily. I was never able to lose much more weight than that. But this one took me down into like the two twenties. And when I started working out again and getting a little physical fitness back and my wind back in, it was like, I felt like I could jump out of the building. I mean, I was hitting mile times I had never been able to do before riding longer and feeling more energetic. And it was just like an amazing, um, step. And so what I thought was going to be a big detriment to me was this huge illness turned out to be this blessing because all of a sudden I was fitter than I could have been. Even if I had continued my training journey, I never would have lost 30 pounds doing what I was doing. But I think God knew that. So. Re- rejoice in your affliction. Yeah, right? absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and thank God Mitchell didn't have you do a race simulation on the full, <laughs> yeah, the full yeah, <laughs> So the race is coming. And uh, what what is going through your mind? I'm, I know you and Wendy were really close. So you're probably talking to each other about what's going through your mind. What's going through your mind coming up to race day? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot going through our minds. But pretty much the training after this whole illness thing went fine. I mean, we were hitting our prescribed distances. We were coming up short because the training plan was listed to where like our longest ride was like a hundred and so one hundred five miles or something. And and the lo- the 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 ride in the actual race was going to be 116 miles in Chattanooga. And then we had only done like 20 miles on the run or maybe a little bit less than that. And so I, I was real worried because I didn't have that, what I had going into the half Ironman, which was knowing I could complete all of the distances, let alone knowing that I can do it all together. I hadn't hit any of the distances, um, maybe the swim, um, but never in open water. And so I was just thinking to myself, oh my gosh, this is going to be it's going to be rough. And so I talked with my coach and he said, uh, he said, the great thing about Ironman is that, you know, when you're training for a marathon, you really want to know, you know, because you're going for a time, usually a time goal. Even the people that want to complete it, want to complete it like without walking. And, and there's a real definitive thing that you need to do. So you want to prove to yourself and know yourself well enough that you can not just complete it, but complete it the way you want to complete it. Well, he said, the beauty about Ironman is you only have to do it once. And so that always stuck in my mind that last month of training is I only got to do it once. And so that was even probably more um, 
of a consolation to me than even having known that I was going to be able to complete it. It was a strange feeling, but it was like, yeah, I only need to ask my body to do this one time and then I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> and sure enough. That's a great perspective. So, yeah. yeah. One of the things that I know that you guys were a little worried about the time limit yeah. and, and getting in under the time limit. And then you find out that because of some local stuff that happened, the bike portion had to be lengthened four miles. Yes. So you're now you're adding another yeah. little bit of time onto, uh, onto that uh did that did that worry you yeah it worried me a lot a lot of things kind of came together at the end which made it seemingly more implausible for us to complete it in under the time limit Mm -hmm. they lengthened the bike because a permit didn't fall through they um ended up uh shortening the swim time because i thought well i'll just wear a wetsuit the caveat was you can wear a wetsuit, but you got to start in the back and then, um, and you don't get to qualify for the podium. I'm like, Oh shoot, I wasn't going to get in the top three in my age group. (laughs) (laughs) So that wasn't anything I was worried about. And so, um, I was thinking I'll just start in the back. Well, they said that your, your time limit begins when the first swimmer enters the water. So if I waited until the end to jump in, then I'm not gaining any time. And so I ended up swimming without the wetsuit, which should slow my swim down, but at least I'd start half an hour earlier as opposed to at the back of a 2,700 person. Now, just so everybody knows, Ironman, it's a 17-hour time cutoff. I don't think we've said that yet. No. It's a 17-hour time cutoff for everybody listening. Yes. And for that day, it was 16 and a half hours from the day the last swimmer entered the water, which would put it... Around 17 hours mm-hmm. for the first swimmers going into the water, but only 16 and a half or so if you were the last swimmer into the yeah. water. And so I decided just to get there really early, get to the front of the line, be one of the first people in after the pros go off, just to try and give myself the best shot I, I could. But even then, I'm adding it up. I said, well, you know, I'm going to be a two-hour and 20-minute swimmer right at the cutoff if I'm doing great. And then hopefully we'll get a little help from the current so I'm not over the swim cutoff time because there's a cutoff at each one of the mm-hmm. disciplines. And I'm going to be 8.45 on the bike and then another six hours and 15 minutes for the marathon. And if all that goes right, I'm still going to be over 17 hours. So I'm thinking to myself, this isn't going to happen. There's no reason because even each of the distances that I had done, if you extrapolate the time, not one of them, I had made it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, race day came and we jumped right in and and um, I get out of the swim just exhausted and because you know, you're know getting hit on the head, stuff that doesn't happen in training when you're swimming in a bunch of you know, 2000 people. Um, and so I'm, I'm getting out of the swim and, uh, I overshoot the eggs swim exit. And so I'm swimming back upstream a little bit just to try and get out. And so I'm just dead tired. And I look at my watch and my stopwatch didn't start. So I don't know how long it's been. And, uh, I get up and I look at my watch time though. And it says like, it's only been an hour and 20 minutes since we started. And there's no way. Cause I know I'm getting out where everybody's getting out and I got in where everybody's getting in. I'm thinking I might've got off course or something, but no, that couldn't be either. And so anyway, I just jump on my bike and start riding. And I asked the first like race volunteer, I see, Hey, what time is it? Because I'm sure certain something happened in my watch. Yeah. And, and she said, Oh, it's, it, it, she confirmed the time. It had only been about an hour and 20 minutes. I'm thinking, how did I shave an hour off of my swim? There's just no way. And then I think, Oh my goodness, they must've had that damn water 
wide open because we live in Chattanooga and the Dan river is in like river Dan. river dam. Yeah, yes, Dan. yes. <laughs> We're trying to keep this clean on the, on the air. Um, they had the dam wide open because it had rained a few days before and they were trying to release a lot more water so that Lake Chickamauga doesn't get too high. And sure enough, I mean, it shaved an hour off and we had been watching dam um, volume of water releases for like Months and months. It was like the chat of the century on the Iron Man Chattanooga. That and the water temperature. <laughs> that and the water yeah. temperature. You know, how fast is it going to be? And no one knew for sure, but it was faster than anything I had ever predicted. And so sure enough, I'm like, I might have got a chance at this now. And it was still going to be really close. Don't get me wrong. I needed more than an hour's worth of help, but the bike went really well. I mean, I got through. I kept seeing people on the side of the road and I pray for them because I, I, I was certain I was going to be one of those people that I just had to tap out because um, it was such a long and arduous bike. But we had a lot of cloud cover that day um, and it was just perfect conditions. My, you know, everything just went right on the bike. It was long and it was extra mileage, but um, I was getting hot, like, I don't know, 10 or 15 miles to go. And it was like, out of nowhere, this shower comes down, just pours rain down on me. And so I didn't have to take nearly as much water and I was out of water at that point. And so I finished just like cool and ready for the run. And so I get on the run. I still hadn't seen Wendy because she was just like blazing fast that day. Her swim obviously is much faster than mine still at this point, but I think I can catch her on the bike, but that didn't happen. She was just blazing fast that day too. And so on the run, the miles are ticking away and I still don't see her and still don't see her, but I'm feeling okay. You know, um, my shoes are a little waterlogged. They're a little bit blistered because of wet, wet shoes heading into the run. Cause I got rained on, but I'm still in good spirits. I mean, this is still way better than I could have hoped for. And I've got a shot. I mean, there is no way going into this day that I would even have that. And, uh, so about mile, I don't know, 23 three or 24 i see wendy's mom on the side of the road wendy's right up ahead so i'm thinking oh i'm gonna catch her and so i just get just start sprinting i mean i'm blazing fast like 15 minute miles at this point (laughs) and so uh, i'm just chasing her down and sure enough about 25 or so miles to go or into the race i see her up ahead and so i catch up to her and uh and and she's like, you go finish, you go finish. And I'm thinking, no, God God put me here at this point for a reason. We're going to finish Amen. this thing together. You and so You don't understand how much energy I used to get exactly. here. Exactly. <laughs> it, was, it, it wasn't I was being extra, extra especially generous to her. I was just going to catch my, catch my breath so I didn't keel over before the finish line. But anyway, as you start to get closer, we're hearing just the roar of the crowd and we're starting to head down into the lights and it's like, wow, this is really going to happen. And so we crossed the finish line together and it was just the most amazing experience. Uh, Yeah. And so this was, if I'm not mistaken, and I may be wrong about this, but this is the longest Ironman ever done, right? No, they had never done one that long because of the extra four miles on the bike. They were all 140.6 and this one was 144.6. And so not only did you complete it, and under the time limit, but you did it on the longest course possible. Yep. That's yep. awesome. That's awesome. Nothing's impossible. With and then in the aftermath, um, I, and I'll never forget that night because I went home that night. I went, I, I, I watched Mitchell finish. Yeah. Um, I think I had something going on the next morning or something like that. And I'm like, I, I got to go home. Yeah. And so I went home and I'm glued because there's a, a camera on the on the screen and i'm glued to my screen that night at home sitting on my couch i'm like i'm praying so hard come on dean yes come on come on and and wendy yes and um 
And then I remember, I still remember looking on my computer and seeing you guys come into the screen. Yes. And tears. And I just, oh, it was so stinking exciting. Yeah, we had and, a lot uh, of prayers for us that night. And they we were all remember. needed for certain. But then in the aftermath, something El- no, something you probably—I'm sure you never saw coming. Something else happened. You and Andy, you and Wendy, wind up being celebrities of of sorts. Yeah, that was crazy. The next morning, we're getting all these phone calls. Hey, hey, you're on the front page of the Chattanooga Times. I'm like, the front page? I was like, I was looking through the sports section, and no, 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 not the sports section. The front page of the Chattanooga Times. <laughs> and sure enough, there we were, like. Above the fold and clear as day. I'm thinking this Humongous is picture. crazy. Yeah, get, get, grab that picture and put it in the in the, <laughs> yeah. in the podcast yeah. feed here. It was comical because you know we're getting celebrated. It's not the winners of the Chattanooga Ironman. It's the last two finishers that are the ones being celebrated. So if that's not like the exactly the epitome of what God takes the lowliest of the low and raises them up. I don't know what is because it was just amazing. There's nothing noteworthy about about my life that would ever warrant me being celebrated like that, but it was phenomenal to see and, and phenomenally to so live for certain. The thing that sticks out in my head the most about that race, I, I remember you finishing. I, I remember you and Wendy coming through hands raised. But it's what happened as soon as you finish that I will never forget how much of a tough cookie this guy is. He he said, I, th- I think I might have a blister or something. He's looking around, and and I looked down at his shoe, and I said, Dean, I, I think you've got more than a blister. His shoe was solid red. Yeah. And they were not red Nikes or whatever. They were – I could tell it was it was blood. He had – this may sound gross to talk about. <laughs> it was the biggest blister I've ever seen. Yeah. And no telling how long you'd been running on it. Yeah. That that blister would have brought most people to a screeching halt. And all of that being said, that whole story, that's the, still the thing that impresses me the most about <laughs> because I thought I would have not have made it with that kind of blister on my foot. But it was I think all the blood came out of your shoe, didn't it? Yeah. Didn't it wash out? Yeah, it did. So that's I know he wasn't planning on going there, but yeah. <laughs> It's amazing to look back at all the times and all the circumstances that came together to make that whole thing possible um, and to, to wind up in the way that it did. And, and I know I know you you're not you're not overly, you know, you never wanted to be on the front page of the newspaper and all of that stuff. But just the way God took that whole thing, you were ready to run for God. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. So here you are, and you're on the front page of the, uh, you know, a fairly large city in yeah. Chattanooga. You're on the front page of their paper with something that says "Run for God" on it. Yeah. What a great witness after all that work. Oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Man, oh man, I'm telling you, it, what what amazes me, I think, the most in listening to your story is that as the task increased and it got harder, God seemed to show up more oh, and yeah. more often. As you needed it more often, yeah. it's such a clear picture when you look back on it, and in the moment, you know you're, you you have those God moments, and you think that's really cool. Yeah. But but now looking back on it, you just realize He was there every t- every single time you needed Him. Right? Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, if, from all the way back, if we hadn't moved next door to Mitchell, if if you know I hadn't gotten sick along the way and lost all that weight, if the weather and the water flow hadn't been just perfect that day, you know, if either one of us had had a flat tire or stomach problems or something that plagues you a myriad of times in training, if any of those had happened, 
it's all done. And yeah. it's amazing. God showed up. Because in big. the end, you finished how far under the cutoff? Um, probably about 10 or 15 minutes, 10 I think. 15, yeah. 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. So, yeah, any any major problem during yeah. that race would have been – obviously, a blister is not a major problem. Uh, but <laughs> it was a pretty big blister. <laughs> for some people, it would be a major problem. Yeah. Not for Dean. So, uh, so anyway, yeah, what a great, great story. If you've ever participated in any sport, you've probably met a great coach. Great coaches inspire us to do more than we ever thought possible. You can be the leader that helps others achieve things they never thought possible. You, yes, you have the ability and the opportunity to be that person. All you need is a heart to help people and the ability to follow a plan. The Run for God 5K Challenge will come ready to help you inspire those around you. The step-by-step guide will direct you how to plan, pray, and train people both physically and spiritually. You can help them become more fit in their health and in their walk with Christ. Share your passion. Go to runforgod.com to find out how to inspire others to accomplish big things. All right, we're back. And so... Dean, we have people likely listening right now that think that they can't complete this Couch to Marathon program. Tell them why they can do it. Yeah. You know, I really hope that anyone who feels that they can't do something, they can't do anything, but it, but in particular, you know, this Couch to Marathon program, you know, I hope that they can see through me that God can take a 308-pound man with no athletic ability and turn him into an Iron Man, that he can do anything Mm -hmm. that they need him to do um and it's just it's all about you know you just have to have that courage to start and the faith to finish yeah Mm -hmm. because the first step is you signing up and being committed and then once you're there it's all about trusting god and trusting the plan and keeping with it and having this run for god club group to rely on for motivation and encouragement I mean, it's going to be even better than the Run for God club that I had when I was going through all this because you have so many more people and their experiences to draw upon for for guidance, for hope. Um, and so it's going to be an amazing journey for a lot of people, but you just got to start. Yeah. So so in your mind, having gone through all of this, how much of the the preparation and then race day is mental versus physical? Looking back, I mean, there's definitely a physical component, but it's almost all mental because each day's physical component isn't something that is overly difficult. I mean, in fact, it's pretty easy. It's just you got to be committed to going out and doing it. It's like brushing your teeth. You know, if you go out, it doesn't take much time, but you got to be committed to the task, right? I mean, you got to be committed to allocating that small amount of time every day um, to go and do the work. Yeah. And once you're committed to that mentally, the rest comes really easy. Wow. Wow. Hmm. So when you look back on that Iron Man today, what do you remember the most about it? Hmm. I mean, I remember the friends, the family at the finish line. I remember a little bit of the journey. I mean, I look back and it's just so it was such a long day that I can't recall the the unique moments of it. But in mass, when you look at, back at it, you look at the immensity of it, and it's like, wow, that was pretty cool. Yeah. But definitely it was the friends and family that, that were there celebrating alongside and, and, uh, and, and the great feeling of accomplishment when it's all done and, and when it goes according to God's plan. It was an, an amazing day. Yeah. So, so not the pain of the race, 
right? Or how yeah. difficult it was it was for all of those days of training when, when when it was hard because there were days where you had to get out and you had to do a long bike ride. And you were tired. Yeah, and for you sure. didn't really want to do that. You didn't want to do that. You know, fourteen mile run that day because you know you you had something else going on. Yeah, it's hard to fit all that stuff in. But in the end, what you remember is the finish line. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and what you accomplished. I think if your why is big enough, you can do anything. And I mean, I knew what I was doing this for. I was doing it there as an as an investment. I mean, you can look at it, at it in in mass and say, "Man, that's gonna be a lot of time out of my life." But if it's if it's time you ultimately get back because it allows you to spend more time with your kids, um, being active, or it allows you to have a longer number of healthy years, it's like. It's one of those things where you can justify the time you're spending because it's time that you'll get back as a healthier lifestyle later. And, and uh, so for me, I mean, yeah, it really was just that. So I, I want to pick up right there for, on something for just a second. You, you mentioned how important your why is. You know, we talk on here a lot about, you know, that's how we start the 5K. That's how this class is going to start January 17th is why are you here? How important was that for you? You know, I always talk about have it on your mirror, you know, have it somewhere where you sit every every day. How important is it to have that why when things aren't going so good? Yeah. It's it's really important. Um, it's really important because for me, I mean, my health goals had really gone off the rail in my life. You know, I'd started off not knowing much about healthy eating and healthy, um, a healthy lifestyle. It was, it was a lot of sedentary days growing up and, you know, no one taught me through no fault of their own because no one taught them, um, what was the importance of being active and, and eating right and not just completely, um, uh, turning a blind eye to all of that because it's easier and so much more fun to, <laughs> to eat the wherever you want and not do anything physically. But, but of course, it, it's going to catch up to all of us. Mm-hmm. And when you start having kids or you start getting older, you start to see how important it is to either get it back on track. Otherwise, there's going to be huge ramifications later in life. And so that was a big why for me. I mean, I knew that I would never be the skinniest guy on the block or the strongest or the, the most muscular, but I wasn't doing it for that. I was doing it for more more time with my kids and more time with their kids. And, and that may never come, but at least it won't be through any choice of my own. You know, if God seeks to take me earlier in life, then, then my health will, would have otherwise got me. Well, so be it. But, um, but at least it won't be through a fault of myself that I took myself out of the race too early. Amen. What a great perspective. I know that if you're out there, you've been inspired by listening to this. And if you're not, you're, you probably need to check your pulse. (laughs) Uh, it is trivia question time and uh, since we're talking a lot about triathlons right now here's the question when and where was the first Ironman triathlon now when you look this up this may surprise you um, about how how long back it was so uh, so uh, interesting thing to research so you have to send that to that answer to dean at runforgod.com not Facebook Messenger, not customer service, Dean at runforgod.com, <laughs> and include your T-shirt size because this week is another Run Club box. They're, uh, everybody's loving those, so yeah. we're going to keep that going. That's awesome. And you have to be a member. And you have to be, yeah, you have to be a member. And then here's another uh, reason why running is so awesome. Um, and we've kind of hit on this all day today. Almost anyone can do it. You know, a mile is a mile. 
It doesn't matter how fast you cover that mile. It's still a mile. It's 5,280 feet every single time. Uh, I know some people who are really fast. Um, and I know some people who are not so fast. Uh, and, and it's funny because a lot of times they talk about the same things mm-hmm. as it relates to running, which I think is cool. And, and I think that if a guy who, you know, maybe he's a, a hacker on the weekends on the golf course, he can't really relate to Tiger Woods, right? Um, the discipline, the time it takes, how hard it is to be good at something, I don't think he understands it. But I think a weekend warrior runner who's mm-hmm. not very fast still can understand uh, the task that a, a fast guy has. So I think that makes running special. So uh, a 12-minute miler will, will understand the same thing that a 5-minute miler does. The motivational thought of the week, there are two primary choices in life, to accept conditions as they exist or to accept responsibility for changing them. Uh, That comes from Dennis Waitley, who's a motivational speaker who uh, wrote a couple of books called Seeds of Greatness and The Winner's Edge. What a great perspective. Hmm. Uh, You have the choice. You can either say, okay, I'm good right where I am, or you can say, I'm going to change and I'm going to be different. And Dean, that's what you did. You made a a conscious choice to say, I want to be around for my kids. I want to make sure that I'm healthy enough that when my grandkids come along, I have the energy to play with those kids and to do things with them. And he's going to have a lot of grandkids. (laughs) Yes, he is. He's got a basketball team in his house right now. (laughs) I do. That is right. Dean, thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. Really uh, appreciate it. Some of that stuff I hadn't heard before. So, uh. And you tell it well. You tell it well. Uh, entertainment's always part of it, right? So uh, but we appreciate uh, the way that you've done that. And um, listen, if you've listened to this and you're inspired by it, make sure that you subscribe to the Run for God Run Club podcast. If you're not a member yet, make sure that you, you, you get on the website and you sign up and you become a member because there's more to it than just this podcast. There's a lot of other things going out there. We've talked about the Couch to Marathon program extensively. And uh, you can be a part of that. So uh, if you're not signed up, make sure you get signed up. Obviously, make sure that you uh, are also, there's videos out there too on YouTube. If you're not listening or watching that on YouTube, you can check those out as well. So you can see us visually. Um, But either way, make sure that you're rating us and you're giving us some feedback. And let us know about the things that you want to hear. And don't forget those stories. Keep those stories coming. Uh, Now, may God bless every step of every run. Go out there and shine your light. Good job, Dean. For more information about the Run for God ministry, go to runforgod.com. If you have questions about your salvation, click on the Peace with God tab. There's nothing more important. Thanks for joining us today.